So I wanted to start by asking a question here this morning of um, the kids. And this was something that I, I asked my kids this morning, and it will connect amazingly well to, to the sermon that I'm going to talk about this morning. So let me ask you kids, what is something that you can do today to show love to your mother specifically? Go ahead, yell those out. I won't hear you, but that's okay. They will, and they will take note of it. Uh, so just go ahead, shout out. What are some things that you can do to show love to your mother this morning and this afternoon? Well, some of the things that, that my kids said, uh, Aiden was excited to begin chores immediately. Uh, that was exciting to hear. Um, and Addie gave uh, Steph one of her stuffed animals, which was really cute so that she could snuggle it and be warm this morning. And I'm sure you guys can think of a lot of really great ways to, to show love to your mother. Uh, but one of the things that I talked with my kids about that I think is really relevant this morning is that the best way to show love to your mother um, is by being loving, not just to her and not just this morning, but to your siblings and to uh, your friends and to your both parents and everyone. The, the more that you are loving to other people, not just her and not just today, uh, the more that she will feel that love because her heart is also a heart of love. She loves you. She wants good things for you. And so when you love her back and you can show her that love by loving so many people and, and playing well with your siblings and not arguing over toys and giving her time to, to relax today. There are so many different ways, but all of it stems from a heart. The heart issue is what's really important here. Yes, she likes all of the things that you're going to do for her today, but more than any of those things, she likes the heart of love that's behind them because she has a heart of love for you. And that's really beautiful because it's the same thing that is true about our Heavenly Father, that he loves us so much that we uh, can can. He just wants us, our heart, to be a heart like his, uh, that is a heart of love and a heart of service, and that we can express that to him by loving uh, and serving people, not just uh, on specific times or days, but by, by serving at all times and in all ways until the end of time. Um, so today we're going to talk about Luke 12, 35 through 53. Those are the, the verses that we're going to be studying here this morning. And I hope that you're going to recognize with me today that all of us, and in fact, all of creation is here to serve the will of the Father. And how faithfully we serve that will, or if we fail to, that will determine the result that we experience. And that we would all take hope that Jesus is both the master and the most faithful servant. And that's why God exalted him above all others, and that through him we can be exalted as well. So those are what I'm hoping that we uh, come away from today's messages message with. And I want you guys to focus on three major themes as we read through all of these verses this morning. I think that these are the three themes that really tie together all of, of this section, and I want you to, to keep an eye out for all three of these themes in all three of the sections. So I want you to look for the theme of waiting and readiness, and I want you to look for the theme of master and servant, and the theme of reward and judgment. Those are the three things. So waiting and readiness, master-servant, 
reward judgment. Uh, and we'll start by looking at verses 35 through 40 as we see God talk about his servants serving at all times. Let's read those verses together. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So in these verses, we see Jesus really begin to define for us what the servants of God look like. They're the, they're the people who are willing to wait on God, serving him at all times. Um, not just when the master is present, but even when the master is not readily available or readily present. Um, and I think that this really highlights for us one of the hardest things uh, about serving God, which is this idea of waiting. That, that service isn't just about doing the tasks uh, that are obvious when, when God is right there in our midst and, and clearly visible. But that this service, the good servants of God, are the ones who are waiting to do his will, even when he's not there. Uh, into the late watches of the night, the verses 35 and 38 refer to these late watches, the second and third watch of the night, which would have been well into tonight and almost to dawn, basically. The third watch would have been right up until the morning time. So these servants have been waiting for their master to return all night long and right up until the morning. And that's not easy to do, to, to stay focused on a task uh, that just requires essentially waiting um, without clear, immediate action. But, but the action is the waiting. And as a, a wise candlestick once said, uh, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. Uh, that there's, there's this idea of, of unease that we get when, when we don't have something to do, when we're, oh God, what, what do you want me to do? And if only you were here, God, I would serve you, but I just don't know what it is you want me to do. And I feel like in this season, that's something that I've really been struggling with of trying to figure out in a lot of ways, we are waiting to see what God is doing. We are waiting to see how he's working in our world and, and how we fit into this big complex puzzle. Um, and this would have been a very recognizable feeling to the Jews who were, uh, the, the message was going out to um, as Jesus was giving this, this lesson. Um, they were waiting too. They were waiting for the, the Messiah to come and to bring about the kingdom of God on earth, which they had been waiting for generations uh, and generations to come. 
And similarly, we today are waiting for this return uh, of God. And that is a difficult thing to do. It's very unnerving uh, if we don't feel like we're, we're actively serving in something um, that, that clearly has importance. But what I love from the next passages in, in verse 36, uh, Jesus illustrates not just the actions of these servants who are waiting, but also their heart. He says that they're to be waiting like their, their master is to be coming back from a wedding feast. These servants are eager. They're excited and joyful. They're anticipating this, this moment when the master returns. And I like to think about this, you know, if you've ever picked up a friend from the airport after a, um, after a really exciting vacation, um, and maybe the, the, the flight comes in late. I guess this would have been when we were allowed to fly. Uh, but the idea is that we have, you, you go and you, you meet this person who has come back from this exciting event. And even if it's late, you are excited to hear from them. How did it go? Tell me all about it. What was the vacation like? What did you see? And you share in the joy that they had. And that waiting is not a chore. It's anticipation. It's joy because you're going to share it with someone that you love. Uh, the same thing is is uh, true if you are waiting for someone um, to come back after seeing one of your movies. Maybe they're seeing it for the first time, and you're going to meet with them and talk about it. And you're not actually seeing, excuse me, you're not actually seeing the movie, but you're waiting for them to come back so that you can share in that excitement and that joy with them. Uh, and I think that this shows us, this shines a light on what it is like to be a servant of God, that we're not just waiting, but we're waiting joyfully with excitement and anticipation. And it may seem difficult in our current situation to wait with that kind of excitement. How is it that we can be waiting to serve God and serving God in our waiting? I think it's because of the principle that we've we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, this principle that the heart of a servant is becoming like the heart of the master that they serve. This is not so much about what the actions are as it is about the heart of the servant. And from that heart flows the actions. So we know that the, the more you serve a particular master, the more your heart looks like the heart of that master. Last week, Peter talked about how uh, Jesus warned about the, the treasure, the true and the false treasure, and that if you made money the master of your heart, then you will begin to act and to the, your heart will become like the heart of that master and you will begin to act like that master does. Uh, he talked last week about how many, uh, in many ways, master, money is an extremely demanding master. It's demanding both of you and it's demanding of others. And so if that's the master that you serve, your heart begins to look like that, and you become demanding of yourself and of others equally. So this, I think, is, is a really true principle that we can help, that will help us to understand how we can be servants of the Lord that are able to wait at all times and to serve at all times. And so if the heart of the servant becomes like the heart of the master, the question is, what is the heart of God? Well, it says in verse 37, the heart of God is the heart of a servant. We see here that in, in verse 37, Jesus comes, the master comes back. And when he arrives after his wedding 
feast. He is excited to share this with those that he's closest to, to share it with his servants. And he will even serve them, that he will have them sit at the table. He will dress himself, the master will dress himself for service. And the people that he serves are his own servants. What an amazing heart of service that this master has. And we see this illustrated a couple of times, not a couple, many times throughout the scriptures. Um, in Luke 22, the disciples are arguing over who is greater, which one of them will be the greatest. And Jesus asks them this same kind of rhetorical question, who is greater, the one who is being served, reclining at table, or the one who is serving? And the obvious answer would be, well, the one who's serving. Or, I'm sorry, the greater would be the ones who are at the table. And yet, God's heart is such that he, the greatest one, is the one who is serving. Uh, and this happens in the context we see in John 13 of, of Jesus physically washing his disciples' feet. He takes on this role because this is his heart. And the more we serve him, the more that becomes our heart as well, that we would serve God. And not just serve God in the times when it's obvious, but that we would serve God at all times, because we don't know the future. We don't know when the master will return. Um, and it says at the beginning of these verses that, that you are to stay ready, uh, stay dressed for action in verse 35, to keep your lamps burning. This is a continuous thing. It's not a one-time thing. You don't wake up and meet your master when he comes home because you don't know when he's coming home. Uh, this again, another sort of illustration that I like to think about, and this is this is embarrassing, uh, but m maybe you can can relate. Who brushes their teeth better the week that your um, calendar tells you you're going to have a dentist appointment? Does anybody else do that? Like th that your dental hygiene suddenly improves when the reminder comes up that week. Oh, I'm going to see a dentist here, um, and I need to. I need to really do this better. Uh, and, and so that week you brush your teeth better, but then you lose sort of the momentum and, and just go back to your sort of standard habits. Um, that's really what God is warning against here is if, if you don't know when this meeting will take place, you don't know when the master is going to return, then your only option is that you are faithful always. Every time, at all times, that you are ready to serve. And that is is really, really a big job. Um, and even the reward described in these verses that uh, the, the master will serve uh, his servants, even for that kind of a reward, it's, it's difficult at all times to keep this mindset of faithful service. Uh, so I think that's one of the hearts that's behind the, the next section that comes here, that Peter is going to ask a, a very clarifying question. He's going to say, you know, Jesus, who are you, who is this teaching for? And I think that that's, his hope is to sort of draw some boundaries around this kind of thing and get clarification about what, God, you're asking a really big thing here. Who are you asking this of? And I want us to, to look in our next section. We're going to see that Jesus actually is going to only elevate his expectation for his servants. And he's going to expect that his servants are going to serve not only at all times, but also in all things. And I want you to look again for those three major themes of, of waiting and readiness, 
of master servant and of reward judgment. So let's take a look and um, read the next section together. These are verses 41 through 48. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what was deserving of a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So here we see Jesus extend and elevate this expectation of what it looks like to be a servant of God, uh, that they will serve at all times and in all things. First, let's look at a little bit of context. Um, Luke 12 begins with this setting of thousands of people coming to hear Jesus' teaching, so much so that they're crushing one another. That was what we were told at the beginning. And in verses 1 through 8, Jesus is addressing not that huge crowd, but his specific smaller group of disciples. And he was teaching them about what it would look like to walk uh, their walk out for him publicly in front of, of crowds very much like this. But then in verse 13, someone asked, someone from the crowd asked Jesus a question. And so he turns his, his dialogue away from the disciples as a smaller group and talks to this larger crowd, addressing this idea of false versus true treasure. But then in verse 22, Jesus goes back again and addresses his disciples again that were just his little flock, he refers to them. So we see the context of this lesson, um, this parable that Jesus is telling, he's sort of jumping back and forth between the disciples and this crowd of thousands of people and back to the disciples again. And so Peter asks a question that would have been very uh, on, the, on the minds of many people, I think, which is really, okay, wait, Jesus, you're giving this, this very high expectation of what it means to serve God. And who exactly are you teaching this for? Is this for us, the disciples? Is this for this large crowd of thousands of people? Or is this for somebody else entirely? Jesus, who is it that this message is to? And Jesus answers very clearly, I think, yes. Yes. That's right, Peter. Uh, it is for it is for you, the disciples, and it is for this crowd, and it is for something else even bigger that we'll talk about here in just a moment. But I think that this is a, a beautiful thing that that Jesus is showing what it looks like to be servants of God. And the question isn't who are the servants of God. 
That's not your question. Who are you teaching this to is not the proper question. The proper question is how faithfully are you serving? You being everyone. Uh, you being everyone in the world. Like this is not about who is a servant of God. Everyone is a servant of God, whether they know it or not. But the question is how effectively and how faithfully they are serving in all of the situations that God has put them in. Uh, in verses 42 and 43, we see Jesus, or the, the parable talking about a servant who is found doing his master's will. And again, we see now that that will is not just waiting for the master to return, although that's part of it. The master is still absent at this point, um, and he has put someone in charge of some of the things that he owns, his servants, his household. There is the, the faithful manager whose responsibility it is to care for all of the things that belong to the master. Um, and his, his job is to feed the servants and to care for the household. And the, the conclusion, what, what Jesus says is going to happen here is that if the master returns and finds this servant faithfully executing his will, he will be blessed and will be given more and more and more and more responsibility. He will be put in charge of more of the master's things. And in fact, he is becoming ever more like the master. As he is executing the master's will, as this servant serves faithfully, not just at all times, but in all things, the master adds to his responsibilities over and over and over, making him more and more like the master himself. It's amazing. But the result is going to be this, this greater and greater authority. Um, but we see, as we just talked about, that it's hard to do this over an extended period of time, right? If you just, you don't know when the master is going to be back, you continue to serve. It becomes very easy to slip into old habits where you no longer are viewing the master who is, who is absent as the master, but you start to view yourself as the master and you start to um, serve yourself and your own will rather than his. Um, this is like how you may treat a book that has been loaned to you. I know that I sometimes uh, experience this. The first uh, couple weeks after somebody loans me a book, I've been treating this book very carefully. I'm trying not to crease the spine. I'm weird. Like, I care about that kind of thing. I know a lot of people don't. But, like, if I'm borrowing a book, I'll try to treat it very nicely and carefully. Um, but after a few weeks that I've had this book, if I haven't either finished it or the, the person who loaned it to me hasn't asked for it back, I start to become a little more careless about how I treat a, a borrowed book. I start to treat it more like I treat my own books, that is, to fall asleep on it and drool. Um, you're not going to have this this the same level of concern over a long period of time. And eventually you may even forget that this book was loaned to you and it may end up on your shelf and you look at it and you think, huh, I wonder who gave me that book. Uh, and, and you don't even remember <laughs> that, that no one gave you it. It was a loan, right? It is, it is so easy the longer we go to experience this, this shift away from serving the master's will and serving our own will, our own self-service. And I think that this is the illustration that Jesus is drawing here. He's, he's showing that the, math, um, the servant, the manager, 
is taking for himself many of the rights, the privileges, and the responsibilities that rightly belong to the master. The illustrations that we get are this eating, this drinking, and this executing judgment, this beating of the master's servants, um, is what the manager begins to do for himself. So he is taking on the role of master. It's the master's role to be served, to eat, to drink, to execute judgment, to make sure that the household is being run um, according to his expectations and standards. But now this manager has has shifted away from serving the master's will and really putting himself into his own place. And I think that this is important because it's revealing the heart of the servant. This isn't about... Um, the master putting a servant in this position. It's about the servant taking that position for themselves. And this is really interesting because the consequence of obedient service is that we become like the master and the master gives us more and more authority. But the result of failing to serve the master well and serving our own will is that we take for ourselves that which what we can't rightfully take but has to be given to us and we begin to act like we are the master and so the result is destruction the result has to be destruction because the 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 heart of the master is one of service and he is not serving those that are under his concern um, by allowing this to continue i think that we see this pattern over and over and over again in scripture of um, a thing that that is intended to be a gift from God, which we pervert by making, by taking it for ourselves. Um, even since the, the Garden of Eden, right? That God made us in his likeness and that we were to be steeped in his presence, becoming ever more and more like God as we, as we spend time, uh, steeped in his presence. But instead, uh, Adam and Eve chose to take for themselves a fruit that they were told would make them like God. They took what could only be given, and the result is death. Tower of Babel is the same. Uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, where God promises offspring, and they take what they think is the way that this should go, rather than trusting in the Lord to provide it at the time uh, of his will. They were unable to wait on the will of the Father, and so they took for themselves the thing that they believed would would accomplish what they want. It's, it's really just about serving themselves. Um, and so if we see that this is the actions that happen, if we are all servants of God, and if we are all to be serving his will, and the question is, how do we serve that will faithfully, then what happens when we don't do that, when we fail to serve the master's will, and we shift beginning to serve our own will. Well, uh, we see that in these passages, you don't get off just because you didn't know your position under the master. If you do something that requires discipline, you still receive that discipline, even if you were unaware. And now we start to see the answer that's getting to the heart of Peter's question that the actions that you do are going to receive their consequences. And everyone is a servant of the Lord. So Jesus, who is this teaching for? It's for everyone. But the difference, Peter, between you and the crowd 
is that you know better. And so of you, a higher standard will be required because you know your master's will. If you fail to follow the will of the master, whether you know it or not, he will execute his, his right to, to judgment. Uh, we see here that I thought it was interesting that one of the things that the servant starts to, the, the, the unfaithful manager starts to do is beat the servants. Um, and that seems kind of harsh and graphic. And why is it that that's the thing he chooses to do? He's put in charge of, of the master's household, and so he beats the servants. Um, but we see here that there are those who have authority uh, to the, – the, the master has authority to execute judgment over the servants. We see that because he does that with the unfaithful manager. But it is not the place of the manager to execute that judgment. It is only the place of the master. So. Judgment does happen, and these consequences do happen, but they happen from the place, from the master, not from the person who has usurped the master's position. Um, and so we see as Peter begins to discuss, as Jesus begins to address Peter's question, that there is a difference here between the crowds and the disciples, but it's not that of you get off, uh, you, you are, are freed from responsibility and expectation, and you do not. And you have expectation, but it's that you are those who know the master's will the best have the highest expectation. So how do we apply this? How do we um, live our lives in obedient discipline to the master? Well, the first thing I think that we need to do is we really need to consider who is the master in your life. What does your heart look like? Does your heart look like the heart of the master that is one of service and love to those who are underneath him? Or does it look like you are your own master, that you are in service to yourself and that you don't uh, care as much for those who are underneath you? Uh, and so when we think about this idea that our heart will look like the master's heart, we need to really consider that and not just what it looks like in the obvious times. What does it look like after it's been, it's been months of isolation that we are in, uh, we've, we've been separated from the people that we love for long periods of time and we've begun to, to establish routines, but also to get weary and our families, my, your, your kids are melting down and it just becomes easy to say, my master is delaying in coming. Anyone would be forgiven for taking some liberties at this point, like breaking social distancing guidelines or, or acting for self-interest above the interests of our family or of, of those who are uh, at risk from this virus. Like we begin to focus on ourselves and it's embarrassing how easily we do that, especially as time goes on. And in these verses, it's clear that those of us who know the Lord and begin to understand his will, uh, that he, his will is that of service, we are held to a very high standard that we are expected to serve at all times and in all things, not just the things when the master is present, clearly looking over our shoulder. We serve him also by serving others. 
Um, and for, for those who may not yet say that the master, that Jesus is the master, um, I want you to, to be aware that you, it doesn't matter the amount, well, it matters, <laughs> that you don't get off of responsibility just because you don't recognize that responsibility. Um, there is a master over all things, and that master is God. It's not you and it's not me. We are all servants of the master, and we have to be careful how we serve him because we will have an account. Um, so we've seen in these verses that the master, uh, his will is that we will be serving him at all times and in all things according to the things that he has entrusted us with. Um, so this sort of is the, is the argument that Jesus has been building here, I think. And then in the next section, he takes what seemed to me at first to be a really rather dramatic shift. He, he changes his tack, it seems, uh, quite dramatically. And it left me really asking the same question that, that Peter asked, which was, Lord, is this for me? Is this for us? Is this for them? Is this for someone else? Who is this teaching for that he's about to transition into? And I think that um, the answer is the same also that he gave to Peter, which is yes. Yes, this teaching is for you and it is for them. And it's even bigger than that. Um, I think that what Jesus is going to do in this next section is give us a personal example from himself of what it looks like to be this kind of servant that he's going to, to use his own life in that very moment to demonstrate for his followers what it means to be a servant of God. Just like how he's physically washing, well, he will be physically washing their feet. Um, he's going to give us this representation, this example of what it looks like for him to be this servant of God. So read with me uh, verses 49 to 53, and we'll conclude this here. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So that's a bit of a shift, I felt like. Uh, weren't we talking about what it looks like to be a servant of God? And then Jesus has this, this uh, section, this conversation about his purpose here on earth. And I think that he is demonstrating exactly what it looks like to serve perfectly at all times and perfectly in all things until the total perfect will of the Father is accomplished. So those are the, the things that Jesus is demonstrating. Verse 49 and 50, we see this theme again of waiting. Jesus says, would that it were already kindled. I have this fire to light, and I wish that it were already kindled. 
And he says, I'm distressed until this baptism that I have come to do is accomplished. He is experiencing these same emotions of waiting on the will of the Father, but he's doing it perfectly. He is perfectly waiting at all times to serve the Father's will. And his motivation for doing that is that he has a perfect understanding of that will. He has a a perfect unity. He says, I and the Father are one. And so Jesus is experiencing the same challenge that we face when we're faced with waiting on the will of the Father. We, We are eagerly anticipating for something to happen, for something to be accomplished, but for our, for our master to return. But we have to wait on his will. It's not our will, but it's his will that we are waiting on. And Jesus had to do the same exact thing. And he knew that his message that he was bringing, this message of, of repentance and salvation through faith, was going to cause untold strife, that this will of the Father to exec- execute this good and perfect will of salvation for the world was in the interim going to cause a great deal of strife because the world is wicked. We are not perfectly obedient servants. And so this execution of, of the Father's will is going to cause a good deal of pain and suffering and division on the earth. And so I think that's why he, he continues here with this, this quote at the end um, of, of uh, let me, it's here, um, that the, yeah, that he came to, the house will be divided against itself. Uh, and the, the individuals that he references, father against son, uh, son against father and, and mother-in-law. This is actually a quote um, from Micah 7.6. I want to read for you Micah 7.6. Uh, and then also how it concludes in verse 7. Uh, Micah 7.6 says this. Uh, well, first of all, some context um, that Micah is talking about how the godly have perished from the earth and that there is no one upright among mankind, that this is the state of humanity has fallen so far that there is no one righteous on the earth. And this is what it says in Micah 7, 6. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But this is how it finishes in Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So this is the the reference that Jesus is making as he talks about the state of mankind. He knows that humanity is fallen, that we are we are totally broken and sinful, and his arrival is going to cause this great division among mankind because he is calling people to his service from their sin. And he's looking ahead to the completion of his father's work, and he's looking ahead with such great eagerness to this completion that he says, God, would that it were already kindled, that we had started this process, that 
I will be, and there will be such great distress until it is accomplished. Father, your salvation for this earth is coming, and I can't wait for it to arrive, that I can joyfully share with you in the joy that you've brought about as you have saved mankind. And, and there's just this incredible sense of Jesus in anticipation for the completion of the Father's will. Please, God, just let it be. The sooner that it started, the sooner that it will be accomplished. And this is how we are waiting, too, for Christ's return and for the salvation of the nations and even for heaven, our true home, that we are eagerly anticipating the conclusion of this process that God has started. But ultimately, in that time, we are waiting on the Father's will, that he will accomplish it in his own time. And even Jesus has experienced this exact same waiting. And I think that this gave for me an incredible revelation of how Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's this, this great emotion and passion that he's experiencing as he's praying, um, culminating in, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, as he's waiting for this process to be fulfilled. And I think that it's not only his physical suffering that he was looking forward to as as what he was about to go through, but the entire course of human history, that this division and this strife that is, that is brought about until we are all saved, the brokenness and the death in the world, he is greatly distressed until it is fully accomplished. He is waiting for this, and he experiences the beginning of the end, the, the, the fulfillment on the cross when he says, it is finished. That is the moment for Jesus when all of that waiting is accomplished, that his, his service to the Father God is complete, and he has accomplished the salvation of the, of the nations, and, and that he has brought the glory that God deserves to himself. Um, we see also one other thing here, uh, reference to this same thing in uh, Matthew 10, verses 34 and 36, where Jesus says this same story, this, I, I've come to bring a sword, mother will be against daughter, there will be enemies within the same house. All of that is, again, in Matthew 10, 34. Um, but look how, how this section concludes in Matthew 10, 37. He says that whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So we see here this idea of service, all things being subservient to the will of the master. So not only are we serving at all times until the end of time, as God chooses to accomplish it in his own will, but we are serving in all things that everything, even our fathers and mothers, even our sons and daughters, are, are given over to the will of the master. We are not the master, even of those things which we hold most dear. God is the master of them. And so we serve him by serving them, but we do not take for ourselves the things which are, are not ours to take. We must be given that responsibility 
uh, from the true master, from God himself. And because his heart is one of service, the more we serve them faithfully, the more he gives us. So how can we apply this? Friends, we are called to an exceedingly high calling. We are called to serve our master, Jesus Christ, at all times and in all things. But we can do that because he is our example. Christ himself, the master, was the perfect servant. And it's his heart that we are conforming our hearts to so that we can, we can execute his will perfectly, whether it's just in waiting or whether it's in serving those that he has put under our care. Uh, Hebrews 12 says this, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus went before us, showing us what it is like to serve the Father perfectly in all things and at all times, because he knew the Father's will. And we can know the Father's will through our association and our, our, our relationship with Jesus. That's the difference between a servant who serves only when the master is present and a servant who accomplishes these things is this depth of understanding of the master's will. Jesus had perfect unity with the father and he had perfect obedience and he had perfect service and he received the reward of perfect, of, of sitting at the right hand of the father at sitting at his right hand throne. And as we serve him, we can experience that same unity with the Father through him that he has. So Christian, please eagerly wait for the return of your master, Jesus Christ, and eagerly wait by doing his will in all of the things that he has given for you to do, whether those are big things or small things, whether those are things that require effort for a moment, which can be difficult, or for decades. All of these things that the Lord has given you to serve him in are, are opportunities to show how your heart has been changed to be like his heart. And if you do that, as you serve faithfully, he will then give you that reward that you have earned and that has, has been given to you as your heart has become like his heart um, as we faithfully serve in all of those things. And for those of you who are not Christians, who don't recognize this master, that you are the servant and not the master of yourself, please be encouraged that you are not, that Jesus himself showed this way, that he served so many because of his father's will, and he will enable you to do the same thing. So I hope today that these verses have helped you to recognize that you and me and even Jesus himself are serving the will of the Father. And because of that service, how faithfully we serve or fail to do so is going to determine the result. Because Jesus is both our master and the most faithful servant, 
we have hope in an eternal presence, in an eternal life with God in his presence, um, exalting with him and sharing in the joy that is his as he has accomplished the most amazing thing that has ever been done, which is the reuniting of a holy God and a sinful man. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I thank you, Jesus, uh, for today. I thank you for your word to us, God. I pray that you would remind us um, daily and in in the coming weeks and months and years uh, how we can wait on you. Uh, We can eagerly anticipate um, being reunited with you and serving your will, Father, in, in even waiting and in executing the small and the big things that you have given us, Lord, to do. I pray, Jesus, that you would um, just be with us, continue to to give us wisdom as we interact with our world. Um, May we always bring you glory, God. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.